Coit Chris and Pitt beat writer for DK Pittsburgh Sports is our special guest. It's time for a Pitt football preview. This is ACC Nation. That's Will Ogina. I'm Jim Quist. Welcome, Corey. We appreciate you joining us. Jim and Will, I don't have a fancy background like you guys do, but uh, welcome to uh, Casa de Corey, if you will. Great to be on. Appreciate the opportunity, and I'm uh, looking forward, as always, to talk some pit football. Ten days away as we're uh, talking today from the backyard brawl, so the buzz is certainly building out here in Western PA. Yeah, we're going to get into that backyard brawl here in just a few moments because that's an intriguing game, and I'm, I'm glad to see it's back on the schedule. Hey, Corey, outside of Pittsburgh, uh, ACC media, which is spread out all over the country and tends to be a little regionalized sometimes to their own detriment, is spending an inordinate amount of time talking about who isn't there this year, leading them to the conclusion that the Panthers, well, they're just not going to be as competitive this season. Now, my question is that a fair pro, a fair approach, or should they be talking about who is stepping up and what is actually uh, on the plate this season? Well, I think everybody in that building on the uh, south side, the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex, I think everybody's getting tired of hearing Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison right about now. <laughs> yeah, It's fair to say, obviously, you have a Heisman Trophy candidate, finalist, a first-round NFL draft pick. You have the Blitnikoff winner, number three offense in the country, number eight, I believe, scoring-wise. I might have that flipped, but anyway, point is, a consensus top five to ten offense in college football last year, and it's no secret Pickett and Addison were the two big reasons why. But I've been saying this since media day happened. You got to give Pitt credit for who else was there, and you have to give them credit for what they brought back. What college football team, aside from the University of Pittsburgh, can say they have five senior starting offensive linemen that all returned from last year's team? I, I, beg to, I beg you to find it because I think, to my knowledge, and it's not that, not that fast, but I'll tell you to my knowledge, I think Pitt's the only one that has that luxury in Power 5 football. So you couple that with Izzy Abandicanda at running back who looked good in a lot of good spots last year. And is starting to get a little bit of hype for the for the running back that he is. You have a guy like Jared Wayne at wide receiver. Gavin Bartholomew looked great as a freshman at tight end last year. They brought a couple of transfers in at wide receiver. So without going too far into it, they believe that even though the two biggest reasons and the two biggest focal points of their success last season are gone, even though those two are gone, they believe that the pieces that they brought in, the pieces that they are returning – is going to be enough to continue to contend in the ACC and, of course, in the Coastal. Now, you could go break that down how you will, but there's something to be said about bringing back all those offensive linemen. You're starting running back. You're starting WR2, more depth at running back. There's there's a lot to like still about Pitt's offense once you remove Pickett and Addison. So, Corey, uh, before Will gets into the X's and O's of the offense and defense, a real quick question for you. Um, the preseason top 25, which I, I, I say this every single show, is, is really not worth the paper it's written on most of the time because it's looking back at last year. But there tends to be, or at least there appears to be in my mind, 
uh, at least among the ACC teams this season that are in the top 25, that people are doing some homework. They're looking at what's coming back. Do you feel that Pitt is in the right spot in that top 25, that preseason top 25? I figured they would be ranked anywhere from 13, which is what they finished at last year, up into about that 17 to 18 range for two obvious reasons we just talked about, right? And when it comes to breaking down the ACC that are in the top 25, all five teams obviously well-deserving. And this ranking came out before Sam Hartford at uh, Wake Forest went down with his you know, medical issue, and obviously we all hope he's okay over there. So Wake Forest TBD, right? So you consider the four teams that are still in there with Clemson, NC State. A lot of people love NC State this year. A lot of people love Miami this year with Mario Cristobal. And then you have Pitt, who ranked the le- ranked last among those four teams, last against 17. But I thought the ranking was fair in that sense, in that range. If they were in the 20s, I would have would have probably raised a little bit of uh, hell around it, but not too much because I'm still just a lowly reporter over here. Uh, but no, I think it's fair. I think it's I think it's fair to criticize and fair to say, well, what's it going to look like without Pickett and Addison? But then you have to reel it back a bit and say, well, you have an All-American in Kalaja Kansi on the defense. That D-line is the strength of that team. As much as we could talk about the O-line returning those five seniors, you could talk about uh, Servassier Dennis at linebacker. There's a lot of pieces that still came back from that championship team. So you can't discount them too much. I thought that 17 was fair. I thought it was a little on the low side of fair, but still fair. Okay, so you posted a uh, a video on your Twitter today on Monday uh, from Pat Narduzzi, basically you know saying he's he hasn't named a starting quarterback yet, and it, I mean I'm I'm guessing he probably won't really name one uh, until he absolutely has to. <laughs> now it's a competition between Keaton Slovis and Nick Patty. Is there is this really a competition or is this merely just gamesmanship? I think that's a good question because. I want to say that it's a competition, but I also agree with the standpoint that it could be a little gamesmanship out of respect for Nick Patty. Nick Patty has been there as Kenny Pickett's backup for four years. You know, he's been through the ins and outs of this program. That locker room obviously knows him a lot more and a lot better. So out of respect for Nick Patty, when you're talking about gamesmanship, yeah, it could be a competition. And on the flip side, you could say, well, Pitt brought in Keaton Slovis with two years of eligibility left. Remember that. He's got this year and next year with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, that whole, the whole rule shift. Keaton Slovis has two years of eligibility left. So do you sit Slovis to play Patty, knowing that Slovis, let's be frank, w- with the way that these transfer rules go out, and, I mean, he wouldn't go and then sit a year and then go play again, but you wouldn't bring in Keaton Slovis to sit him right? That's conventional wisdom. So at the same time, that conventional wisdom and that common sense could say, well, this is going to be Slovis's job to lose. And I think that's the case, in my opinion. Now, in the closed doors, Narduzzi has held a hell of a poker face when it comes to, hey, who's going to be the quarterback? Who? When are you going to name the starter? Let's talk about the quarterback. He is stone-faced every time we have asked him about it. And to his credit, he probably doesn't want to tip West Virginia off either. So I actually wrote about this today. I said one of three things can happen. He announces it at the end of the week. 
which, great. He announces it Monday, which he's having a press conference on Monday. Big, big, you know, game week presser. Or he doesn't announce it at all, which could happen. I don't think it will, but it could happen for the sake of let's not tip our hand to West Virginia. And then I put my tinfoil hat on and I said, does he name a starter and then smokescreen it and start the other guy again to throw West Virginia off? I'm not saying Pat Narduzzi is nefarious enough to do that, but to get in the mind of West Virginia a little bit, Jim's saying he is. <laughs> I'd say he was. But, <laughs> but why not? It's on the table, is it not? Look, yeah. I think at the end of the day, this is my opinion, I think it's going to be Slovis for, again, you bring him in, you don't bring him in to sit with two years of eligibility left. I just don't think that's good business. Yeah. I think Nick Patty understands what's going on here. And when I talk to him, we haven't talked to the quarterbacks since Pitt's initial media day on the first week of their training camp or the first day of their training camp. So we haven't really gotten to talk to the quarterbacks about the situation. We haven't been made available to Frank Signetti, or rather he has been made available to us to talk about it. So they're keeping this as quiet as they humanly possibly can within those doors. Now, as we sit here and record this, they might know. Narduzzi might know, Signetti might know, Frank Signetti Jr., the offensive coordinator, he might know. They all might know by now. But, again, they're keeping it very tight in there. The screws are very tight on this one. So it feels like a situation where when the depth chart comes out next Monday, it'll probably be an uh, one or like a Slovis or Patty type mm -hmm. of situation. <laughs> You're going to see a lot of ors for mm -hmm. more than just quarterback. You're going to oh, see yeah. ors for – I would put – I would put – out of 22 starters, I would put about six or seven oars on that depth chart. Quarter, I would go quarter, if I had to guess, if I was a betting man, quarterback, running back, middle, outside linebacker one, outside linebacker two, two cornerbacks, that's six. Mm -hmm. I think he could realistically do that. Again, you know the offensive line, unless you know something crazy happens, and then defensive line's pretty set. So, and you have Servasi, Dennis, middle linebacker. Those are the only three things we really know. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll put it about five to seven oars on that initial depth chart. <laughs> so one of the things obviously that, um, that I think one of the reasons Signetti was brought in because is because he, you know, he, he's more of the type of uh, coordinator that Narduzzi wants. He's that he obviously made it clear. He wants to run the ball more. Now, Last year, they were pretty much a 50-50 split. Um, what do you see the percentage of run pass being this year? Contrary to popular belief, by the way, which uh, the popular belief thinks that Pitt threw the ball 99.9% .9 of the time, <laughs> which obviously they didn't. But the running back depth has been a hot topic all throughout camp because they have, and I'm not exaggerating, they have five guys that they could put in at any point in time to run the football or catch the football, whatever they need. Izzy Abandicanda obviously is, is going to be the one that gets the most of the work because look last year, I know Pitt didn't have the greatest rushing numbers, but I think Abandicanda was 10th in the ACC in yards per carry in an offense that didn't really excel greatly at running the ball. And I know how much that building loves Rodney Hammond, the sophomore, and he's, you know, we talked to Andre Powell, the running backs coach, and he's impressed with what, uh, Hammond's been able to do more on the cerebral side of football on, on studying the playbook on knowing where to be and what to look for and all of that kind of stuff. The addition to Sebo Flemister to me is so interesting because I, I bring this philosophy along with a few players that 
uh, just came in as transfers. You don't bring these guys in to sit. You know, there's a lot of redshirt seniors here, final year of eligibility. Flemister just graduated from Notre Dame. This is his last year of football. So how much is Pitt going to use Sebo Flemister this year in, in, a, in a passing role and a rushing role and a blocking role, whatever it may be? They have five guys in that running backs room that can do a lot of different good things. You know, you got Vincent Davis in there too. Um, you know, you have a lot of options. And, and that's one thing about Frank Signetti. He's not afraid to put a running back in the slot on a pass play. He's not afraid to go, you know, put the quarterback in the gun with, with flanked by two running backs and one's blocking and one's going out for a route. He's not afraid to mix and match in a lot of ways. And Narduzzi has talked about, you know, the installs. He was impressed with the installs throughout camp, and he was impressed with just how many different things Signetti would throw at the defense. And I, the cliche I've heard about a billion times this summer is iron sharpens iron. And that's kind of the case with this pit offense. If you're going to install a brand new offense with a brand new quarterback, you better be doing it against a good defense, which is what Pitt has. So they've done a lot of different things to try to, A, figure themselves out and what they're going to be able to do this year, and B, to try to figure out, okay, what can we run in a sense of this is going to work against a certain personnel? And I know that Signetti has the track record, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Eli Manning, he's worked with Sam Bradford, a healthy Sam Bradford. Todd Gurley was a breakout in, in the Rams offense when he was there. So, look, I, I think that Signetti's going to run the ball. Will it be more than the 50%? I think it can be. And that's not a knock on Keaton Slovis or Nick Patty. I think that's just a, a byproduct of, again, the strong O-line and their five deep at running back. So let's get into wide receiver real quick. Obviously, we, we don't need the rehash who's gone. We already know that. We've known mm -hmm. the story behind that for months now. But let's talk about who is there. You got Jared Wayne. He obviously, he's the he was the number two who's back. He picked up Kanata Mumfield as a all who was an All American at Akron and had 750 yards receiving. You got Bub Means who came out of the portal from Louisiana Tech. There's been a lot of noise about Jalen Barden out of uh, out of practices, and you mentioned him a little bit earlier. Gavin Bartholomew had a big season as a freshman. Looks like somebody who could uh, be in line for a big year as well in this offense. So this is a contrary to popular belief. This looks like a pretty decent receiving core. I think it is too. And let me tell you something about Kanate Mumfield. My previous job, I was covering Bowling Green and uh, Mid American Conference football last year. And Bowling Green, believe this or not, had a top 10 pass defense in the FBS. Believe that or not. Kanate Mumfield was one of two wide receivers last year to post 100 yards in a game against Bowling Green. The mm. other was Jack Sorensen at Miami, who was a freak athlete i couldn't believe what i saw when i saw that game but anyway mumfield and by the way akron had bad quarterback play last mm -hmm. year i mean capital b bad quarterback play last year i i if i my memory serves correctly akron had to start a second stringer who was a primarily running quarterback and he got hurt mid-game and the third stringer had to come in and he looked like josh allen like for whatever reason like that was just the clunker that bg threw but mumfield i mean i said this out loud this is not a mac player you sometimes see these group of five players and they stand out and you say to yourself, this is not a Mac player. That's exactly how I felt about Kanate Mumfield. He's fast. He's agile. He can get up and get it. And this is also a credit to Tyquan Underwood, who they brought in as wide receivers coach this year. He's done a fantastic job and everybody, even, even the DBs we talked to, 
has have talked about the job that coach Underwood has done with these wide receivers and Bob Beans included, obviously, you know, started his career at Tennessee, transferred to LA Tech, and you know, he's coming along and Narduzzi has talked up good things about him. That receiving core is going to be just fine. And by the way, uh, Narduzzi said today on uh, on Monday as we talk here, you know, they had a team scrimmage on Saturday uh, this past weekend. He said Jalen Varden was the MVP. He said that unprovoked pretty much. You know, we didn't ask him who's your MVP. He said Jalen Varden was the MVP of the scrimmage. He said the offense won handedly because they didn't turn the ball over. Now, I don't want to knock the defense. I don't want to say they didn't force any turnovers, but that's also a testament to Slovis and Patty taking care of the football. The running back's not putting it on the ground. The wide receiver's not dropping any errant passes. He mentioned uh, Randy Bates, the defensive coordinator, mentioned that Barden went up and got one over one of his younger DBs. So, you know, they have a lot of weapons that are still going to be able to produce in this offense. And I, I Jared Wayne has been touted for his leadership. He's one of the offensive leaders in that room. You know, he's mentored Mumfield, he's mentored Means, he's mentored Barden. So that core is going to be just fine. And then Gavin Bartholomew, obviously, like you mentioned, um, learning from Lucas Kroll last year, Pitt has a pretty decent track record of recent with these receiving tight ends. Bartholomew's a big dude, and he knows how to go up and get it as well. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him, you know, kind of break out in the ACC as a tight end this year. So when I want to go back to uh, Pat Narduzzi, and uh, he is – Without a doubt, one of the more stone-faced coaches I think I've I've seen in a long time. He's he's definitely old school. Do not play him in poker. No matter what you do, you will probably lose, and he'll have a crap hand. Two, I've heard all kinds of talk about, oh, we've lost Whipple, or the team has lost. See, this is the kind of stuff I hear on the outside looking in. Oh, they've lost Whipple. You know, in addition to all these great players. So Whipple's, you know, that that was really going to make a, a big difference. To me, I would look at Whipple sometimes and think to myself, and, you know, this is not discounting the stuff that he did bring to the table, but uh, I always felt like he was kind of a wet blanket on that offense. That That's my personal feel. I just always felt like it was not completely there. Now, you bring up Signetti and all of the different things that he is he's doing, he's implementing, he's trying, he's throwing at the defense. Narduzzi being the defensive mind that he is, he I think he likes that counter. And um, I, I think he's found somebody that will counter him. So for me, what you're telling us about Signetti is that um, – this offense may be more explosive than you've seen it in years past, uh, specifically over the last couple of years under Whipple. And that, again, that's my opinion on the outside looking in. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sitting in there like you are and, and other guys are, are looking at what's going on firsthand. That's an observation. Um, let's get into the the defense here uh, real quick. Uh off, uh, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, often, uh, as we always say, don't get enough credit. Let's look at this defensive line for a moment and talk about what they're bringing this season. What What's the difference there on that defensive line? This team that you will see on the field this season is built from within, which I think is becoming a rarity in college football. This team is built from the trenches first. The offensive line, again, five seniors, et cetera. 
But the defensive line, Kalaja Kansi, All-American choice. Second team preseason All-American as well. Hava Baldonado, big, strong, quick, athletic D-line, D-end. He's starting to gain some steam as an NFL guy. I mean, Kansi and Hava Baldonado could be NFL guys. And not just NFL guys, you know, some mock drafts even think Baldonado could have a season that could put him in the first round. That's what I've seen. Now, who's that? Who's around them? Let's talk about John Morgan. Let's talk about Dayon Hayes, who's had a, a good camp. One thing that Narduzzi was very quick to praise, and, and the players that back this, you know, that we've asked, is the strength and conditioning program, not just over the spring, but also over the summer and into camp. Um, Coach, uh, Coach Stacciotti, their, their head strength and conditioning coach, first off, you, he- you can hear him before you see him. He's, he's leading the stretches. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. He's got that raspy football scream. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You can hear him before you see him. And the thing that Pitt was really proud to, I guess, announce is that they're stronger in the weight room. The bench is up. The squat's up. They're, they're physically feeling great. They're, they're healthy in, in the sense of, the, you know, the again, the diet, diet program, the conditioning program. So that's a huge thing when it comes to the D-line. We talked to John Morgan last week, and he looks ripped, <laughs> like crazy ripped, like athletic, ready to go. Just put him on the D-line and let him run. And keep in mind, at a certain point, whether it's against West Virginia or it's you know against Louisville down the line throughout the season, Baldonado and or Cansey will have to draw double teams. I mean, it's just going to have to happen. That's how good these two are. So what's that do? That frees up Hayes, that frees up John Morgan, that frees up your linebackers like a Servassier Dennis come, to come shoot a gap. This D-line is going to be – it's going to be, be carried by Cansey and Baldonado, primarily Cansey because of how just amazing he is up the middle and how quick he gets off the ball and how – you know, he's that, that strong guy. And, by the way, some guy named Aaron Donald, his, uh, his nephew is in that room too. So – not that I don't think he's going to like be Aaron Donald, but I don't even know how much he's going to play this year because they like the depth they have there. Um, but anyway, th- that's if I could put it in one sentence, I would say Kalaja Kansi and Halva Baldonado are future NFL players. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's, <clears throat> that's a good place to start. Uh, let's get into the secondary with Will. You know, it would help if I unmuted myself. Um, <laughs> so let before we get there, let's just uh, just want to go over some numbers for everybody to just remember how good this pit defense was. Number one in the ACC and six nationally in rushing defense, allowing 89 yards per game, had 12 more sacks than anybody else in the league, and they were third most in the in the country. Their pass their pass defense middle of the pack, but that's also kind of a misnomer because. Only four more teams had more passes thrown against them. Three of them were bad passing defenses. The other was a national champion in Georgia. So that just kind of tells you what kind of category the the, the defense was in and a pretty elite one. So, yeah, you talk and took the secondary. Obviously, the safeties look really good. You've got a, a Brandon Hill back and Eric Hallett. Both, or Hill was all first team all ACC last year. Hallett was honorable mention. I mean, you could say there's a little bit of a question at cornerback. I mean, Marquis Williams, he did start every game last year, but we don't know, really know who the starter is going to be alongside of him. But still, you know, with the safety play, I don't think that's going to be a huge issue. 
if there was a weakness, I put that in my air quotes on this team, that's very lightly using that word. I think it would be that cornerback position. Just not knowing, is it going to be A.J. Woods? Is it going to be M.J. Devonshire, who moved up from safety once upon a time? You mentioned Hallett and um, Hill. You know, if you have center field short up on any team, that's just going to make you that much better. And you got two all-ACC caliber guys. And think of the game Hallett had in the ACC championship. You know, big players make big plays, right? And that's what he did for, for Pitt in that championship game. So it's funny enough on uh, the ACC did the uh, the ACC network rather did their, you know, camp tour for ESPN and the ACC network. And uh, Brandon Hill was interviewed by, you know, EJ Manuel, Eddie Royal and company. And uh, he was basically asked, are you guys going to be able to like, you know, what are you guys going to do for turnovers? You know, do you guys aspire to do more? And Hill's like, yeah, we're going to get more turnovers this year, which is crazy to think because how do you, how do you improve upon what's already amazing, you know? And again, the way that this defense is just built, when you got guys like Cancy and Baldonado rushing the quarterback and they're in the backfield in, you know, 1.99 seconds, you know, your defense has to react quick. Your defense has to be on their spots. And last year they were. So to have those returning guys coming back in Hallett Hill and, and you talk about Williams, that's huge for this team. Now, again, Woods played played a significant amount of time. Devonshire played a significant amount of time last year. So however they mix and match in that position, who's going to play nickel as well, you know, that's something to throw out there in those kind of sets. Um, but those safeties are undoubtedly underrated. And, you know, any team that dares to try to throw deep, it's going to be tough. You know, they're going to make this tough. This defense is going to make a, a lot of offenses – which, by the way, a lot of new head coaches in the ACC, new coordinators, new philosophies, etc. You know, that's something they're hungry for. That's something they want to take on. And, and you know, this defense is ready to prove that they could just go out and do it again. And, you know, again, they didn't lose too, too much from it. I know we'll talk about the linebackers, I'm sure, soon. But, you know, they didn't lose too, too much from that secondary aside from Damari Mathis. So, again, another unit that thinks they could pick up right where they left off from last year. Yeah, let's get into those linebackers. Obviously, you've talked multiple times about Servasier Dennis. He's among the best linebackers in the league, but there are questions at who's going to start out alongside him. Um, obviously, there's been some names. You got uh, Shane Simon from Notre Dame out of the portal. I know Bengali Kamara has done a good job and you know might start. Also, I have Tyler Wiltz from from Missouri State out of the portal. But even still, even if you know there's injuries there, there's a lot of depth at linebacker still, so there won't be a huge drop off. We talked with Randy Bates today about the linebackers, and he said we could see six guys, maybe seven guys, rotated in at linebacker this year. That's how good they feel about their depth. Servassier is going to be that constant in the middle, along with Brandon George, right? Those are your constants in the middle. But then you bring up Shane Simon, who's who's got experience at Notre Dame. He knows big time football. Tyler Wiltz, I've been hyping up on a personal level because I covered Missouri Valley Conference football at once upon a time. I know that league very well. And that conference is cream of the crop in the FCS. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna play FCS football, that's where you want to play, is in that conference. You got North Dakota State, who's won, I don't know, twenty-nine thousand straight championships. You know, South Dakota State, by the way, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, numbers one and two in the preseason stats, FCS poll. Missouri State, the program that Wiltz just left, was ranked fifth. 
if my memory serves correctly, there are six teams in the top 26 in that poll from that league. And Wilts led Missouri State in tackles and tackles for loss last year. So they feel really good, and, and we reaffirmed it with Narduzzi. We've reaffirmed it with Bates. They feel really good about where Tyler Wilts is and his potential as a linebacker. Shane Simon, they like him because he's, he's a Notre Dame kid. You know, those Notre Dame linebackers, they're smart football players. They, you know, if they're not the most athletically gifted, and not that Simon isn't, if they're not the most athletically gifted players, they still find ways to put themselves in the right position, if you know what I mean. Now, Pitt's not running your traditional, you know, pass rush linebacker, get to the quarterback. They're not running that. This is, you know, they have their D-line, they have their linebackers, they have their own responsibilities. So you got to look at Bengali Kamara as well. Another guy that's gotten a lot of praise in camp. You got to look at Solomon DeShields. You got to look at, at Nick Lappy, who's drawn some praise. And, and Narduzzi has hinted that he could get some more playing time. A lot of different players out there that they feel really good about. And, you know, I give credit to Randy Bates where it's due because this is not an easy decision to roll these linebackers and roll all these different DBs out in these different sets. So, um, Sarasi uh, Dennis, though, you know, not enough can be said about how much, first off, he's loved in that locker room. Number two, just how good of a player he is. I mean, you watch him play. He just, a cliche here, knows for the ball, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of player he is. So the, the unsung leader of that room, and, and they feel really good about building that room around him and what they could do with that this year. We should probably get into what it is a pretty meaty schedule. Jim, you want to take that? <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about that backyard brawl that we referred to earlier. Man, this is a game that everybody looks forward to for a lot of reasons. Bragging rights, it's it's just an all-out battle. And um, I, I don't know much about what West Virginia is bringing to the game this season. I, it doesn't feel like they're quite where they used to be. But Pitt definitely is coming in pretty strong. September first, a Thursday, West Virginia. Let's uh, let's get your thoughts on what you anticipate seeing for from some of these games on the schedule. Uh, we'll start with that West Virginia game, Corey. Well, here's your uh, here's your storyline of the week. Here, <laughs> JT Daniels is the new quarterback at West Virginia. So you got Keaton Slovis versus JT Daniels potentially there, right? I mean that that sells itself in a bit. Uh, number two, they're they're thinking seventy thousand are going to be at Acrisure Stadium. People are still getting used to that. I haven't slipped yet. Just want to put that on the record. Acrisure Stadium, not Heinz Field. Uh, they're they they they're selling standing room only. It's sold out as far as I'm concerned. So the buzz is back, and it's wild to think that this rivalry hasn't set foot on the field since 2011. Yeah. You know, it's been way too long since we've had this game, which, in my opinion it has to be an annual thing. I, I mean, there's no reason for it not to be. It's it's a power five on each team's schedule. It's blood history. It's rivalry. It's everything great about college football. But look, Pitt, the, we've asked players about this too. You know, Pitt's not lollygagging into the season and playing against, you know, Northwest Arkansas State. I don't know, pick a school, right? FCS school. They're not playing against anybody like that. They have to come hit the ground running. Oh, by the way, Tennessee's in week two. So this isn't a let's let's coast into the season, let's coast through camp, let's let's just get ready on our own dime. No, they they hit the ground running with this, knowing that week one in in a college football world where perfection is kind of desired nowadays, quite frankly, in a perfect world, you know, 
you can't slip up in that game. You have to win that football game for obvious, you know, poll implications down the road. But it's also that rivalry that puts the extra juice in it. And players have admitted, you know, that game hasn't set foot on the field again for 11 years. These players were seven and eight and nine and 10 years old. The last, they don't know the backyard brawl unless they grew up in the area, which of course a good number of players did. They just don't know this rivalry. So I think that the players are getting used to it and they're getting to know what it is. And, you know, Narduzzi will install everything this week and they'll go through game planning starting this week and everything. And, um, the excitement's just building for it. You know, it's another thing. I have I have people that are texting me and emailing me. They're like, we're so glad this is back. You know, this needs to be a tradition. We need this in college football. We need this in Pittsburgh. It's it's funny because, well, not funny, but one of my one of my friends, we were talking about, you know, Pitt football and Pitt athletics, and they made the joke that, you know, the Steelers are the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh most popular team in the city of Pittsburgh, <laughs> and then the, the Penguins are eight, 9, 10, 11, and then the Pirates are 12, 13, 14, and then Pitt Athletics is 15th most popular in the city of Pittsburgh, which, funny quip, but, I mean, Pitt's, Pitt's number four in that pecking order. It's just how it works. Yeah. So if you can get college football, the feeling of college football back in that city, especially riding the momentum from last year, and again, you're opening with 70,000 at Akershire, that's the way to do it. You know, this is this is something, and again, they're going to play this rivalry – I think they're skipping next year and then they're playing three in a row. I don't have that in front of me, but it's something that, you know, they're going to get back and used to again. And this is going to become a, a thing more often than not again. It's just tremendous. I just love it. Hey, so you get a glass of milk and Oreos for uh, correctly bypassing Heinz. <clears throat> <laughs> so, Tennessee game. Let's talk about that because again, um, that, that was an interesting matchup. Uh, not long ago, when Pitt went down to to Tennessee and uh, pulled off a, a what a lot of people assumed was sort of an upset, so um, let's talk about where that game is is going to end up. Yeah, Tennessee had a lot of high hopes entering last season, didn't they? And look, now coming into twenty two, do you have Hendon Hooker? Do you have Joe Milton at quarterback? I'm not sure exactly the situation there, but. The thing about this is Tennessee's defense wasn't the best last year either, right? So there's some opportunity here for this pit offense. Again, Slovis or Patty, whoever it may be, there's an opportunity here for them to kind of find a way to break out, to find a way to put it together in a short order term. And week three, you know, week three, Western Michigan, week four, Rhode Island. So those aren't, you know, incredibly difficult games. Some around here are still like, PTSD over Western Michigan, which I'm trying to get people to calm down on that. Um, but those two games right there. But anyway, Tennessee, look, I think their defense has some holes. I think there's a, a couple of ways to expose them. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a high scoring game too. I, I'm not saying like 45, 40, but I think there's going to be quite a bit of points put up in this one. Again, the quarterback, whoever starts for Tennessee, you know, I, I didn't think Joe Milton was that impressive, to be honest with you, from what I've seen from him and, and certainly what I remember seeing from him last year. So if it's Hendon Hooker, who knows what kind of dynamic that throws into it. But that's going to be a great game as well. I mean, down at Akershire again and um, a lot of good favorable home games to start out for Pitt. But that's scheduled down the road, and I'm sure we'll get into it here in a second. Quite a few tough road games. I think all their tough games are on the road this year. 
Western Michigan. Um, it's a team that you shouldn't ever overlook. <laughs> we learned I mean, that last year, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's sort of an uh, – that goes without saying. Um, and that team actually has has become better over the years, and, and it's sneaking up on people. Um, but it, it's a good team to have on uh, an early portion of your schedule. Um, what do you see happening here in this game? Well, I hope Pitt comes out with some fire knowing what happened last year and they, they make it right from last year. Uh, I I admittedly didn't get to cover Western Michigan football last year, even though I spent the time in the MAC, just because, quite frankly, Bowling Green didn't play them and I was following them around. So, But what I can say about Western Michigan is, um, you know, the quarterback Jack Salopek, you know, mid-range MAC quarterback, you know, he's not the best in the league, I don't think, you know, but sometimes these Mac players, you know, anymore with the transfer portal, with the way recruiting is, it's so deep now with the way everything is. Some of these guys that could play power five kind of trickle in right to the Mac and to these other group of fives. Obviously you look at Cincinnati has built something there, you know, in their, in their time. So you just kind of never know, right. With these Mac games, I guess. Because these Max, these Max schools find a way. I mean, I covered Bowling Green at Minnesota last year. I covered that upset. It was a thirty-one and a half point spread. I would have never, in my wildest dreams in my lifetime, would have picked Bowling Green to beat Minnesota outright in Minneapolis. So, this is one of those just like quirky things on the schedule too, where I guess you know Pitt and Western Michigan needed people to play in twenty-one and twenty-two, and here we are. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, look. I, I'm not putting I'm not putting a ton of stock into this for the fact that I do believe Pitt's going to come out and just beat them, and I don't think there's going to be any second thought about it. But obviously, there's the thought from last year, and uh, you know, is it going to happen again? And the fright there. And this one's in Kalamazoo, which if you can, it, if those listening can point to the mitten that Michigan is and point to where Kalamazoo is. Congrats to you. Um, hint: It's on the western side of the state, but. Th- that's going to be interesting just for the sheer revenge factor of that whole game. All right. Uh, a couple of quick words about the next two games, uh, Rhode Island and Georgia tech, because um, I don't see a lot to say about those, those two games, but you have a different opinion maybe, and we'll see. I don't see any issue here with getting past these two. First off the, Narduzzi alumni, obviously, uh, the school he's he's proudly proudly from, Rhode Island, uh, one of two schools, obviously Youngstown State being another fellow Penguin here, by the way. Um, Rhode Island, you know that's that's the Narduzzi Bowl right there for you, right? I mean, I'm not going to put too much stock into who's going to win that. I think that's obvious. Georgia Tech, I really don't see them giving Pitt any problems. I, I just don't. I, I don't. I don't think they have, you know, a- anything that could really threaten. And again, any given Saturday, I guess, but. I really don't see Pitt having trouble with Georgia Tech this year. I think that's an easy one. So we have a mixed bag uh, before the open. Uh, we hit Virginia Tech first, uh, and then you hit an open date. Uh, thoughts about Virginia Tech? That's again, that's a home game. These, th- this is where the schedule starts to tighten up a little bit, um, just in terms of where that starts. Right, Virginia Tech is not an easy out this year. I don't think they are. A lot of people like them as a sleeper team this year. Um, and then, of course, that kind of starts with that open date coming right after it. That kind of starts a 
a little bit of a gauntlet here at Louisville, at UNC, you get Syracuse at home and then at Virginia. So this is kind of the start of a little bit of crunch time for Pitt. And look, at this point, I would expect Pitt to be undefeated going into this. I would expect them to be, you know, 5-0 and to start the season with that win at Georgia Tech. So this one, I haven't read too much into it, but I do know that a lot of people seem to think Virginia Tech's going to be an improved football team this year. So that one's going to be fun. And again, at Akersher, I would favor Pitt at home. So I guess we'll see there. But that's an intriguing one to start what is going to be a tough stretch to uh, in that midseason. I know our YouTube uh, followers are, are saying that uh, don't underestimate Virginia Tech this season. They're pretty vocal about the Hokies. Mm -hmm. uh, the 15th is an open date. And, of course, we get back into action on the 22nd of October uh, at Louisville. At North Carolina is next on the 29th. Those two road games present some challenges. Um, could could be interesting in both locations. Doesn't Louisville smell like a trap game to you? Or is that just me? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, really, it does. It smells like a trap game to me. It, going at UNC the week after and two tough road games back-to-back. Yep. Full disclosure, I will not be in Louisville. I have a prior commitment to that, so that's the one I'm going to miss, so go figure. But um, I think I, I think that's an intriguing one just for the sheer just what that's going to revolve around. And, again, whatever they do against Virginia Tech the week before, could that bleed over into that week? This seems like one of those weeks that just I don't think Pitt loses it, but I think they're on more of an upset alert in that Louisville game than they would have been in the first six games to start the year. Mac Brown has got some surprises up his sleeve, apparently at uh, Chapel Hill. What What are your thoughts there? He does, doesn't he? And look, you got to replace Sam House somehow, don't you? And uh, of course, today on Monday, he came out with, uh, you know, Drake May, you know, brother of basketball uh, legend over there. Is he a legend in UNC lore anyway? Uh, well, uh, I know sure. they I know they said <laughs> that he was Kentucky, a legend. So yes. <laughs> okay, there you go. And there you go. Uh, of course, a brother of Luke May. But yeah. look, I, the thing about North Carolina, obviously Josh Downs, probably the best receiver in the ACC. Is that fair to say? In this year? In, in the that, mix. In the conversation. That's yeah, fair. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's more fair. Yeah. But anyway, what we just talked about with Pitt's secondary, you know, are they going to have that cornerback spot short up? Do you shadow him all game? Look, I'm curious to know how May's going to look through these first few games before Pitt comes into town because, again, Virginia Tech, Louisville, UNC, that's three tough ones in a row. You're, you might be catching Pitt at the right time. You know, the ones that I think Pitt's over under in Vegas is eight and a half, and I, that's the last I looked. This is probably one of the ones that some of the odds makers were looking at and saying, you know what, Pitt could be on upset alert here. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, and I'm not going to say UNC is going to outright win it, but I also think that this one's going to give Pitt some trouble. Something to keep an eye on. And we've, we've I got, think so. We've got weeks to go. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Um, November 5th, Syracuse is at home. Well, don't make me talk bad about my alma mater now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the battle of two, of two schools who have um, new new uh, new stadiums, you know, re replacing long time, long time names. Yeah, know? it's always going to be the just the dome to me. It's always going to be the dome. the dome. But OK, I'll be frank with this. Aside from Sean Tucker, 
who, by the way, that Twitter feed after his games, oh, just yeah. tremendous. I, I wish every player would do this. Just tweet a stat line in his own analysis about the game or about his own performance. I wish every player would do this because it's hysterical when Sean Tucker does it. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from him, their offensive line's pretty good. I don't see Pitt having any trouble with Syracuse. I just don't. This is, uh, some would say, hot seat season for Dino Babers. Uh, I don't know if you guys necessarily agree with that or not, but I think this could be. Now, I, I do know that if they if they fire him, they're going to owe him a lot of money. Last I checked. I so, thought that two years ago, but that's me. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so who knows? But anyway, um, no, I see Pitt having no issue here. This one's at home. Hughes, again, their offense is kind of one-dimensional with, with Tucker and as long as they take care of the run, they'll be fine. Uh, next game is on the road at Virginia. Could be a challenge. Oh, well, Tony Elliott taking over. That's what's Virginia going to look like this year, right? You know, what do you, let me let me throw this one back at you guys. What do you guys think Virginia is going to look like? Because no. <laughs> that hire to me is just so fascinating. Because I think they could be great. I think they could be good. I think they could be mediocre. I don't know which one it is yet. I think the, the, the answer to me is all, all about, you know, how their offensive line develops. I think their defense will be a lot better because they actually are going to know what they're doing. It's just, you know, they lost their entire offensive line. And yes, I know Brennan Armstrong's a mobile quarterback. I think, I think this is a good, they'll get to a bowl. They could probably win seven, eight games because they pretty have a pretty Charmin soft schedule, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think they, I think they're going to be a good team. It just depends on the offensive line to me. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. That's uh, we'll, you know we'll have to watch the season. Right. If it develops, uh, then yeah, <clears throat> it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough game uh, because there's a lot, a lot of offensive weapons there, and the defense also is a lot more powerful than people are giving them credit for. Um, let's look at this next one. It's Duke. Duke is coming to Pitt, and um, first year head coach there in Elko. But maybe some surprises. Maybe. I don't see it here, but maybe. <laughs> you, that's my, that's yeah. my expert analysis. <laughs> you, you need that's my expert t- analysis <laughs> for you. Yeah. I don't see it. Three and a half, fav- three, th- over under three and a half team coming to Pittsburgh. By the way, yeah. big game the week after. They're going to want to maybe a get right game, another big cliche. Yeah. I'm throwing them all out today. Yeah. A get right game for Pitt that week mm-hmm. if you want it. I don't see any issue here with, with, with Pitt dispatching Duke. Wrapping up right around Thanksgiving at Miami. And uh, that's going to, that is a game that I'm really looking forward to as well. Now that first, the first and the last game of the season are the ones that I'm really focusing on with Pitt this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is game of the year for me. It has to be, doesn't it? I I Mm -hmm. mean, the stakes, the stakes that right here in, in late August that we can put on this game alone, you could say on Pitt's side, Pitt needs this game to win the Coastal. Pitt needs to win this game to have the best record in the ACC. Pitt needs to win this game to potentially go undefeated. Not out of the realm of possibility that you could say that. You could say on Miami's side, Miami has to win this game for the Coastal. Miami has to win this game to have the best record in the ACC. Miami has to win this game. They might have playoff aspirations this year too. So the stakes on this game in late August 
if we're talking about this now, think about how amplified that's going to be come Thanksgiving week. Intense. I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm salivating over it, guy. I, I can't. I, I'm going nuts over it. That's all I've been thinking about is this Miami game because these are two potential top ten teams at the end of the year, right? Is that fair to say? I think so too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I mean, the stakes that are going to be riding on this game for a spot. I'm going to just say it's going to be for a spot in the ACC championship. You know, it's in Miami, the Mario Cristobal, you know, uh, what's the word? Honeymoon year. You know, where's Miami going to be? Is Miami going to live up to the expectations? Is Pitt going to, I guess, supersede their own, supersede everybody else's expectations and fulfill their own? I mean, I'm not going to pick a winner right now because I don't know if I can. (laughs) I don't know if I can. Like, I'm hoping... I'm hoping that what I'm saying right now holds true in November. And this is a game that has all of the stakes it deserves, that has all of the pomp and circumstance that it deserves, that is a just absolute Black Friday treat, you know, end of Thanksgiving week treat. You know, we're sitting there Black Friday, we're all stuffed from Turkey, we, we went out shopping at midnight and regret it. But we're, we know that that Saturday's coming. We know we got Pitt Miami to look forward to. That's going to be so good, and I can't wait to wait to experience that. That, that is good. You've you've painted a, a a better picture than I am initially had thought. So, yeah, I, I'm all in on that game. That's going to be a must see. Hey, you can take ACC Nation with you by subscribing to our podcast on your favorite platform. Worldwide fans of the ACC can listen to us on ACC Nation Radio. And, of course, you can also watch all of our interviews, like this one with Corey, on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to one or all three. And thank you so much to our special guest, Corey Christen of DK Pittsburgh Sports. If you're looking for the latest on the Panthers, follow him on Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to DKPittsburghSports.com. Thank you, Corey, for joining us. Been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you very much. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll do this again soon. And look, I'm always thinking about Thanksgiving, so of course I'll paint that picture. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>